What a great day uh, today is. Uh, we, you know, 25 stories, uh, 25 times we get to tell the story of Jesus, 25 times the story of how he's changing lives. Uh, the challenge for me, of course, in, in uh, when we do the baptisms here is uh, I, I've got I've to try to dunk meaningfully and not too quick, like leave them there, you know, move, because I got to change. And uh, I, I've learned my very first time I, I, I had to do this and be the preacher, the, the senior pastor. Our old pastor used to have waiters and he would wear waiters in, but I'm about a foot taller than him. So when I got in, I didn't realize it, that the, the, they filled up uh, the entire thing. So I learned, I learned on my first baptism to have a, a spare pair of pants there. So uh, uh, good stuff. We're starting a brand new series today and I want to begin with a question. Uh, what does greatness look like for you? What does greatness look like for you? When you, when, when you try to envision greatness, what does it look like? Is it, is it power? Is it status? Is it accomplishment? Is it wealth? What, what is it? Is it, is it resume? Uh, what makes you think of greatness? The, uh, when you think of, over history, uh, there are there are about at least 140 leaders. I don't think there's anyone in our church that has used this title, but uh, have the title the Great in their name. Uh, so Herod the Great, Alexander the Great, uh, Napoleon the Great, uh, and then there was the uh, the one who self proclaimed the greatest ever, Muhammad Ali. Right? I'm so great. I don't even I come out without a scrape. Uh, I mean, there so many people described and listed as great or the greatest. And I, I don't know about you, but I can't imagine there's anyone here as a kid or at least any of you as parents who envisioned for your kids that they wouldn't be great someday or you didn't want them to be great. There are very few parents who, who envision mediocrity for their kids. Uh, that what I really hope that you will is that you'll grow up someday and be average. Like we, we want our kids to be great. We, as kids, we dream of, of great things and, and, and uh, becoming that. Uh, I, was, I thought it was funny. I was listening to uh, someone describe this as a kid and he was trying to understand the way his parents thought. And he said, you know, as a kid, I grew up in this neighborhood and every day I'd go pick up my friend from school. And he said, you know, uh, he goes, I don't know if this is a, a background thing or heritage thing uh, or what. He says, but my, my friend was Jewish. And, and he said, his mom would say to him uh, every morning, don't forget your books. Don't forget your books. Don't forget your books. He says, my mom wanted me to grow up. She says, he said, my mom wants me to grow up to either be a, a doctor or a lawyer. And he says, now I'm Italian. Now I, I, I connect with this because I'm Italian. He says, I'm Italian. My mom always says to me, don't forget your lunch. Don't forget your lunch. Don't forget. So I've concluded my mom wants me to grow up and be fat. So uh, I haven't quite figured that out. But haven't you ever been pampered? Have you ever had like gone somewhere where there was some kind of luxury service where people were waiting on you and you, and you thought to yourself, I could get used to this. I, this is kind of nice. Like I, 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 I like this. I think most of us are wired this way. And this is why this, this series, we're doing a series called Serve. And our prayer is that we would understand a little bit better what it looks like, what it means to serve like Jesus. How, do, how is it that we develop this kind of character of serving like Jesus? And, and don't, doesn't it feel in some ways as we just prayed, uh, this is incredibly timely, that we're just in a day and age, I feel like every week we are, we're praying together as a congregation about something in the world, some, some spot in the world where 
boy, it just seems like people need to stand up, rise up and serve in just a powerful way. Uh, We need servants. And so we're praying that. We're praying for all of us that, that we just come to understand service as a very, very powerful part of the Christian life. And and the reason why is that for Jesus, Jesus had much to say about service, much to say about greatness, and the the relationship that service played together. And one of the things that we're going to see, we're going to look at this a little bit today, but Jesus wanted to teach his disciples that that what what does a great life look like? If you want to know what a great life looks like, you need to look what a life of service looks like. And so here's our big idea today, and it's this, that greatness comes through selfless service. What we're going to see today is that in the kingdom of God, uh, when King Jesus speaks, and he speaks about his kingdom, if you want to be great in his kingdom, you must become, we must become selfless servants. And so uh, let me invite you to turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. And we're going to look at verses 35 to 45. There's Bibles right in front of you, page 1014. If you need a Bible, you don't own a Bible, please, if you're our guest, please uh, help yourselves. Take that home. Uh, We would love for you to continue to study God's word. Uh, We have plenty more. But this is a moment, this is kind of an interesting moment in the life of Jesus that we're going to see because he's been with his, his followers, his disciples, these people, that, these guys that are close. He's, he's raising them up, training them up. And they've been together for about three years now. And he has begun to tell them about, he, know, he knows he's at the end. In fact, we know that there comes this moment, this kind of defining moment in his ministry where he it says he set his face towards Jerusalem, meaning he set his course. He knew what would await him there, that the cross awaited him there, but nothing was going to deter him. He was going, he was going to Jerusalem. He was going to the cross. And so as he comes to the end, he begins to tell them, begins to prepare them for what is going to happen, that they will take him that they will, they will hurt him, They'll, they will beat him, and that they will crucify him. But that uh, three days later, that he will rise again. And it's in the midst of this that he gets a very interesting request from his disciples, uh, some of his disciples who want to be a part of his glory. And so let's begin with verse 35. It says this, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And what do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let, us, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Let's stop there for a second. Here's the first thing that we need to observe is this, is that you and I, we, we seek greatness through selfish and self-serving ways. We tend to seek greatness through selfish and self-serving ways. This, this is such an interesting passage in the Bible because there's a moment here in the Bible where there's great honesty. Uh, there, there's not a cover-up of who the disciples were and, and what they were struggling with. Uh, maybe you've heard the story of the, the court painter. He painted a portrait of Oliver Cromwell. Cromwell was afflicted. He had warts on his face. And so when the painter painted the picture and finished it, he omitted the warts. When Cromwell saw it, he said, he said, throw it out, repaint it, and paint me warts and all. And maybe you've heard that expression, but uh, this is a passage of scripture where we see the disciples warts and all. You, you kind of see the, what, what they're struggling with. And Jesus, again, think about this. He's just told them that he's going to be betrayed, that he's going to be taken, that he's going to be killed. 
Imagine uh, a parent or a close friend or someone coming to you after a, a, a very uh, scary visit to the doctor's office, something where they realize, look, I don't, I don't have much time left. And your response is, well, when you go, could I have your, you know, autograph uh, Babe Ruth ball? Because like, I'm going to just, I, like, who are you giving that? Like, you, you think, like, it just feels incredibly inappropriate to make such a request at a time like this. But still, think about this. They are struggling with this, this idea that Jesus is going to be a conquering Messiah. He's going to come in and he's going to take things by power. And so in that moment of greatness and power, we want to sit at the right and the left. We want to be a part of that glory. We want the corner offices. We want to be a part of that. And it's such a bad idea that if you were to read the same story in the book of Matthew, we see that they even know that this is a bad idea. And so they have their mom uh, make their request. Like this is how, uh, Jesus, my boys, they're good boys. And, and we see this request. It's a very, very awkward request. But one of the things that we begin to misunderstand here as we recognize ourselves much like the disciples is that we see this idea that the, the nature of greatness comes with being served. They were selfish. They were self-serving in the request. It's all about me. It's all about me. And in some ways, one of the best ways to illustrate it is to think of the difference between dogs and cats, right? So dogs have owners and cats have staffs. Uh, dogs think you love me, you feed me, you take care of me, you must be God. Cats think you love me, you feed me, you take care of me, I must be God. <laughs> and this is the way that we see this many times. We see it through this lens of me. And, and the world revolves around me. I don't know, have you ever been on a power trip? Have you ever, have you ever seen that, that this kind of a part of you kind of pressed to the surface uh, where you can kind of, where you can look at a passage like this and say, ah, I'm not that much different. I mean, for me, I could see it all the way back to my very first job. My very first job, I worked at uh, Penguin's Frozen Yogurt down, down the street here. And, and so I got elevated to supervisor, shift supervisor, which meant I was in charge of the other high school kids. And so we were in charge of making sure your yogurt was poured correctly. All the bins were filled. The, the uh, uh, store was clean and stuff. And so one, one day I, I turned to a friend of mine and I say to him, hey, I need you to go out front and I need you to sweep and mop the floor. And, and it, well, it was dirty. And he, he looked at me this, just this look of like hurt and disgust. And he just looked at me and goes, you love this, don't you? And I, I was just so taken back by it. And I, I was like on the outside, I was like, how dare you? And on the inside, I was like, oh yes, I love this. I love this. This is the power was corrupting at a very early age. This is how we are, right? We, we can't look at a passage like this and say we're much different. We then recognize that it's the selfishness, it's the self-seeking that is trying to rule our hearts as well. And the greatness we seek, we try to seek through selfish and self-seeking ways. But notice how Jesus now redefines greatness for them. He says in verse 38, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism 
I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And when the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the, of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Here's the second thing that we're, we're going to see is that greatness is going to come through sacrifice and through suffering. Sacrifice and suffering. Jesus says, look, you don't know what you're talking about. And he describes two things. He talks about a cup. And if you were to sit at a banquet with a king, a king would take a cup. He would pass it to his guests. And this cup, uh, as Jesus began to refer to the idea of this cup that has been passed to him, a lot of things that we miss sometimes is the idea that we only think of the physical suffering of the cross. We never think of the spiritual suffering. We never think of the cup of God's wrath, of Jesus really taking our place, that, that he took the penalty for our sins, the, the penalty we deserved he took upon himself. And he's asking, do you know how to take this? Are you willing to take this? And he says, are you willing to be baptized with the same baptism? Remember, this word baptism means to submerge or to plunge or to dip. And he's saying, look, are you ready to be plunged into this life of suffering that I'm about to enter into? And they're saying, yes, we are. But they don't quite know what they're saying. And he's telling these two disciples that without a cross, there can never be a crown. Without suffering, without his death. There would be no life. There would be no glory. And so greatness comes, as we see, will come through sacrifice. It will come through suffering. And notice the way what Jesus is doing. He's, he's, he's separating the, the two different kingdoms. You see it this way. People love to lord it over. They love to exercise their power. They love to have that sense of control over people. In fact, even a recent study says that one in three people uh, leave their jobs because their bosses are so bad. And because they belittle them, they demean them, they, 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 uh, demean them, they, they uh, are so difficult to work with that people are leaving. This, this is not just an ancient problem. This is a modern problem. We, we struggle with this. And he says that there are those who even think of themselves as rulers that they still love this kind of power. But notice what he says, not so with you. Not so with you. It's this, it's going to be different for us. And he realizes this, that their problem isn't just a desire for greatness. It's just their whole definition of what greatness is about. Not so with you. If you want to be great, he says, if you want to experience true greatness, then become a servant. Become a servant for all. And we see this idea of sacrifice, of suffering. If you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, then live a life of servanthood. Now, there are moments where you and I do see glimpses of this, don't we? We do see the way the world gets turned right side up. Uh, in a recent TED Talk, they were asking the questions of, of why the Marines are so tight. And some of you are Marines maybe can attest to it. But they were saying that one of the reasons is because the officers eat last. And that often they will serve the others. That there's something built into the very nature of this idea of, of, of brotherhood, of service, 
Jimmy Carter, our former president, think about this. this, this here's someone who's reached the highest pinnacle of position, but notice how his faith redefines greatness for him. He says, my faith demands that I do whatever I can, wherever I can, whenever I can, for as long as I can. So let's think about this for a second. Let's just, let's drill down into our, our worlds, our lives. How, how is this showing up in your marriage? How is this showing up in your marriage? Think of uh, Ephesians 5 is just a, a, an a, amazing chapter speaking to husbands and wives, thinking about the the greatness of what God has done. And then in this passage, he begins this whole idea of of submitting to one another and then inviting women who already were in, basically wives were property, but inviting wives to choose to place their, their lives. No longer now that they've been elevated in Christ, but now choosing to submit their lives for husbands to choose to love their wives as Christ loves the church. I mean, this is radical, countercultural kind of conversation that, that they're having, that marriage was going to look completely different for the people of God. What does it look like in your work? Even if you're not a boss, just in doing your job, I mean, maybe for you it's just a job. But what would it look like to, to truly serve your boss or your clients or your coworkers or your students? What would it look like to be a servant in that role rather than in, in thinking somehow you deserve something, that you demand something, that these, these rights? What does it look like in friendship? Maybe you're driven by this kind of, maybe, maybe not on the surface, but maybe if you drilled down deep, you would, you would understand that there's a scale of equality. Uh, that, that what you do, you, ho- you, you expect to be reciprocated. Or if someone does something, you expect to, to give back in the same measure, not because you want to serve, but because it, you feel awkward. You feel like you're in debt, like you owe this person this what does it look like in friendship? What would it look like if the friend, our friendships were marked by a willingness to serve, even if not in equal measures? Greatness, we see, isn't measured by the number of people who serve you. Greatness in the kingdom is measured by the number of people that we serve. And see, here's the, it, think about this. This is kind of the interesting part of the equation. I don't know if you can kind of look forward in it, but try to imagine like what this is going to look like if you can, if your heart can truly grasp this. So if you want to, he says, if you look in my kingdom, if you want to become great then you become a servant, you serve all. Okay. So what you realize is as you move into this life of servanthood, if you were to get into this place where people even commended you for your service, that true servants don't even want greatness anymore. They don't want glory. In fact, they want to give that glory back to God. And so there's this, this wonderful thing that Jesus is doing. He's, he's not just trying to change the, the recipe here. He's trying to change the whole nature of who we are. In my kingdom, it's different. It's different. So as you think back to this last season of your life, just in this recent season, have you lived more selfishly or sacrificially? Are you living more to be served or to serve? What is characterizing your heart lately? 
Now, if we say, that's right, I want it, how do I go after it? I think this last verse is probably the most helpful in the entire passage. Jesus concludes with, I think, was one of the most important verses in the entire Bible. He says this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I mean, this is one of those, those verses in your Bible you want highlighted, you want underlined. This is, this is one of those verses that is so good that we see that uh, kind of this key moment. Here's the last thing I want you to see is that we, we serve others because Jesus first served us. We can serve others because Jesus first served us. The, the example we are following is not, it's not just poetic. It's not rhetoric. It is, it is life. It is modeled. It is lived by the king of glory. The creator the Lord of the universe, he served us. We follow the example of Jesus because, uh, because of the way he served us. And to live as a servant starts by getting our eyes off ourselves, putting our eyes on Jesus on the cross, seeing him and recognizing the unique way he is an absolute expert in this department. This is who he is. We serve because he first served us. How did he serve us? What does he say? He wants to help us understand it. He served us by giving his life. He suffered for us. Now, notice this unique way that he talks about it. He talks about this idea of offering a ransom with his life. So one of the ways that you have to try to understand this is our lives apart from him, that we are shackled, we are slaves, we are prisoners. This idea of ransom was reserved for those who were captured. So whether you were a slave, whether you were a prisoner of war, whatever it is, you have to try to imagine yourself. And here you are standing at the slave auction, standing there bound in chains. And people are bidding on you. And people are going to make you theirs. But it says that Jesus, Jesus, our predicament is this, that there's no way out for us. There's no one that's going to be able to rescue us but God himself. And God himself does come to our rescue. And Jesus is the one who comes. He's the one who ransoms us. He's the one who frees us. And there's an emphasis of what happens in this. As he ransoms us, as he becomes this, he becomes our substitute. He stands in that place. He takes our place in that. And and so there's this very, very powerful image. We were just singing that last song. And I don't know if you were capturing just a brilliant kind of moment in the service uh, as they, they led you to try to think about this unique way of the greatness of God, this throne, and yet the way that he entered into the world, that he, he sacrificed for us, that he, he substituted for us, he took our place so that you and I are now free. And then once again, we see as a result of that, he is raised to the highest place. See, this is the beautiful picture of Jesus that we see again. Remember, uh, this is not just a great teacher or leader. This is the son of God who humbled himself, who emptied himself, who entered into the world and took on flesh and became a man. He became a servant and gave up his life and death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has raised him up. And someday we will all kneel, we will all worship, we will all see him in that, in that place of greatness. But it, he got there, and, and what we see, it's there because of his service. You and I, in some ways, have to understand this. Apart from his service, we are still captive. We are still slaves. 
but, a part, but because of him, because of his service, you and I are freed. And so even in the last service, I love even in the beauty of these kids, I thought, and, and what, a, what a beautiful moment for uh, a mother and daughter together to share in this, to tell the story together, but to, to enter into these waters and to say to, to all of us, to remind all of us how beautiful it is that Jesus entered into this world, that he died and was buried, but he's, he's risen, he's alive. And we tell the story again and again and again. But this unique way in which we rise up and now our life, And what a great passage today for us to say our lives as you resonate with their vows and you too in your heart are saying, yes, Lord, again today, wherever you lead, whatever it is, I'm with you. That we realize this this powerful thing that uh, our lives are lives now of, of service to him, not because, not so that he will love us, but because he has so powerfully demonstrated his love. How else could we, what else would we want to do when we see it in, a, in a, its beautiful picture? And so here's a response I want to invite you to this week. You know, the hope is that as we begin to think about this and practice this, that this becomes part of our character, part of our nature. This is what Jesus was after. He wanted to transform their hearts. And so here's something, uh, some thoughts for you this week. And we'll talk about how to pray this. Who can you sacrifice this week, for this week? And what ways can you serve someone else? How can you this week sacrifice? How can you serve others? How can you sacrifice for others? How can you serve others? And and what I want to invite you to is is to think this way. How could you this week begin your day prayerfully saying, in essence, Lord, what needs to be done? How do you want to use me? Who needs to be served? And imagine that prayer. Imagine that prayer. Moment at the beginning of your day to say, I'm open, I'm ready. I, I can't do it apart from your strength. I can't do it apart from your help. But Lord, how, how is it that I can serve someone today? Who, who can I make a sacrifice for if, if needed? Now, one of the things that we're hoping and praying during this time in this season is that you will really be growing in this kind of mindset of servanthood. And we're hoping that even in the, the needs here at Beach Point, that there's something that God is beginning this work because for some of you during this season, you're going to realize that this is a time in which God is raising you up to become a mentor in the lives of some of our young people or, or to serve uh, the hundreds of kids we have on Sundays and Wednesdays, the kids, uh, our kids, uh, our families, and to be teachers and leaders and, and, and be among these, these kids and help them raising up and sharing the faith with them. Or maybe part of the team as you walked on the campus and you kind of were greeted with hospitality and a great cup of coffee and all those kinds of things. It didn't magically appear. A group of servants got up early and they prepared all that. And some of you just know you love kind of being behind the scenes and making life better for people. And maybe you're going to be part of something like this. But I, I really pray all of you here would find some place of meaningful service here in Beach Point because there's, there's so many great needs. There's so many great things that God, opportunities that God is presenting to us. So as we begin to pray for these things, we'll begin to see these things. As you think about how to serve in your life group, but even more so, pay attention to this prayer. I promise you, if you're, if you're praying this, you're going to hear God answer it. 
God's going to lead you. And, and some of the people God's going to lead you in are these people we call the, kind of the, our 8 to 15, these, uh, the, kind of that social world that you live in all the time. And this is a new season. For a lot of you, this is a new season. You've got new soccer teams and new, new classrooms with your kids and all kinds of things. It's just a new season, new people. But asking the question, Lord, how, do I, how can you use me as a servant to bless these families, these people that are in my life? And you may be thinking, I, I don't know if I have what it takes. I love the words of Martin Luther King Jr. He said this, he said, everyone can serve uh, because anybody can serve. He said this, you don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You don't have to know Plato and Aristotle. You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics and physics. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. This is why we turn our eyes to Jesus and how he served us. This community, this world needs people ready to serve. And and maybe you've noticed some of the great images from uh, this Hurricane Harvey thing. Some of the great images from this tragedy have been the images of people serving selflessly, sacrificially, giving themselves up. And and in this moment, you probably heard, we kind of see that there's there's a greatness in our country when people do rise up. But certainly the church should be known this way. Certainly in this city, we want people to, to know us this way. When they, when they know us, my hope and my prayer is the reason they know us is because of our service. And so let's pray together. Let's bow together. Let's go, think about these. Lord, let's start this question. Lord, who, who do you have in my life that I could serve? Why don't you take a moment and just listen and uh, for the unique ways in which maybe the Lord is leading you to live a life of service in people's lives this week.